Welcome to the Youthscape podcast, the podcast for Christians who work with young people. Welcome to another edition of the Youthscape podcast. I'm Martin Saunders. With me, unfortunately, always is Rachel Gardner. Hello, Rachel. How are you? I'm doing good. If only people knew the conversations oh. we were having just before we press record. No. I'm doing great. Thanks, Martin. Thanks oh, for asking. Thanks for checking in. I've had lots of emails asking me if we can bring back Dog Talk. Dog Talk. I'm so glad they're all from me. Yes. I just created different accounts to I've send got it. A couple of bits I of dog I've got a couple talk. of updates on my dogs. Okay, I have as well. So we'll start with Twizzle. Okay, the unloved. Twizzle the Ridiculous. Oh, the unloved pooch. Um, looks quite a lot like Harry McClary. If you've ever seen yes. the cartoon dog Harry McClary, yeah. uh, she looks like that and completely untrainable. I think this might just be a cockapoo thing because Chris Curtis has a cockapoo who's completely beyond training I think as well. You're just, blame, you're just blaming I, the dog. She will not do what mm. I say. In fact, now she looks at me and whenever she sees me, she runs because she thinks I'm going to make her do something she doesn't want to do, like put her in a her little area that she goes in. Oh, really? Uh, there's not not just a, not a crate. There's like her bit of the house. Yeah. Or put a lead on her, and, and she doesn't like having a lead on her. It's, it's a it's an unwarranted. It's a complete unmitigated. So failure. not only do you not particularly like this dog and sort of don't really love it, you're now projecting onto this dog what you think this dog is saying to you just yes. by simply looking at you when you come home. Yeah. Well, anyway, so that's my first dog update. You do yours, we'll do mine, and then I'll do a fabulous segue into the next segment. So Leo is full poodle, um, very cute, red, little, I think was the run to the litter, very small. I thought to myself, I'm not paying 60 quid every time I need to groom this beautiful little creature. How hard can it be? How hard can it be to chop it? So... I cut the hair and forgot to tell the children and Jason and they came home to basically red poodle hair all across the glass oh, grass no. and was convinced that Leah had died. So oh, I, had no. deal, I had to deal with that. Um, and it's actually very hard to trim because what happens is you pull a bit of the fluff and you trim it and then it's like more keeps coming. I'm like, where is it coming from? Right. It, it is like you because just... it's springy. It's, it's very coiled. springy. And they're like, I don't want to pull it so far that I'm actually cutting the skin. Yeah. So, and then there are certain regions of the dog. I'm like, I'm not going to touch Whiskers or Willie. You know, I don't know where the Willie is actually. That's a, that's a good that's <laughs> whiskers, a rule for life. Whiskers and Willie. Um, and so I have now a dog that has a very well-groomed back. Yes. <laughs> very hairy Willie. <laughs> Three legs. Right. And is looking slightly deranged, oh. but is very loved. Well, I, that didn't go where I thought it was, but I'm, I think the, the fans of Dog Talk will be delighted that we went there. And finally, so Poppy, my dog, we've changed her food. And one of the interesting things that happen if you change the food of a dog after a long, long time is they get a little bald patch. No. Yeah. I did but not know She's this. developing a bald patch. No, and at the same time that I am. Which made me think, you know, it's the ultimate dogs who look like their owners. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And then I was thinking we should talk about youth groups that look like they're youth workers. Oh, my goodness. See what I've done there. I love that People so suddenly see the value of dog talk. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the section that keeps giving, isn't it? Is. it? 
so so yeah so let's talk about let's talk about youth groups that look like they're, they're young people I, okay i actually no, have a story about this this was years ago although having said this i now realize that i am caught in a 1990s walk because really this whole podcast is caught in a 1990s time walk. fashion is because i in the late 1990s i was wearing flared jeans it was like 1990s fashion and big hooped earrings which i now wear again big hooped earrings and sort of fledged animal print trousers anyway um and anyway there was one i was wearing i used to wear them all the time these hooped earrings and there was one day where the girls in the youth group i was running decided to all dress like me and they so they all put their hair back in a ponytail and big hooped earrings the really embarrassing thing about it is i didn't realize i didn't twig i just kept saying to them you look amazing what have you done differently what have you done with your hair you fed it Totally fed it because I just basically, obviously, have so, have so much ego that when these young people dressed like me, not only did I, you know, not notice, but I thought it was the best thing, and they'd never looked better. I, mean, I don't know what that says about me, Do you but that's think horrendous. It, was it a joke, or were they were they sort well, of, was it an act of adoration? I like to think that it was it was a there was a kindness about that. They, it, there wasn't a mean spiritedness. I think it was parachute pants as well, and and sort of active wear before activewear was a cool thing to do you know yes. so it's that kind of look and i was wearing that all the time so yeah that's so that's how a youth group looked like me and i didn't even notice but i thought it was amazing you know so how <laughs> how up my own earrings is that so um so that's yeah that's my story i often wonder what it would have been like to have met as teenagers <laughs> yeah because we're almost the same age aren't we i think we'd have really annoyed each other uh, i'd have yeah. been so that's an airhead yeah you, but you wouldn't have you wouldn't have been interested in me you wouldn't even have seen me i was so small <laughs> I'm about three foot tall. Oh, I would have seen you. I'd have invited you around to play, I'm sure. We're about ten. Or five. They might five. Anyway. Anyway. (laughs) Your your youth work look like you, your youth group. Metaphorically, maybe metaphorically. Yes, I think sometimes it does. So I think the more serious point Yeah, okay, let's find that. Is that sometimes we can accidentally craft a youth group in our own image. Mm -hmm. Particularly if we're of a certain kind of social background uh-huh. perhaps yeah. you know so we we often ask the question and we're going to in fact be asking the question today you know why does so much youth work look quite middle class mm-hmm. well you know maybe it's because a lot of youth workers look middle class and when we say middle class what what do we mean what are the kind of like the signals the yeah of middle class well i guess probably the the challenges you're facing are exam pressure uh, you know, where will I go to university, sort of social issues. You're not necessarily worrying about things like where's my next meal coming mm, from, mm. Um, you know, and there's an awful lot of crime in my area and stuff like mm. that. So I guess we mean people who are in a subconscious bubble of privilege that they're not really aware of. Gosh, that's interesting. And maybe as well, the way that we structure the time of things mm. or what the activities are or what yeah. our expectations are. And this is not in any way, shape or form to say that there's an intelligence element to this. This is not at all what mm. we're talking about, but that maybe our ways of structuring conversation other than dynamics, like if you're starving hungry and you've just walked out of a house with this, you know, some really painful stuff going down then a really mm. big conversation mm. when you first arrive and being told to shut up and just engage with this is not, mm. you know, actually you might be coming with a level of stress and pain that needs to be dealt with before you can sit and think some of those bigger thoughts that you have so i mean my i guess i guess the, the danger is martin how do we separate genuine humanity where there is preference that's nothing to do with class or entitlement but it might have something to do with that but it is 
well-meaning. So for example, when, when we started doing youth work about a year ago on the estate, I was like, let's do really nice pizzas. Let's do different milkshakes and toppings and cookies. Actually, what they want is a brew and a custard cream. Mm. And that took me quite a while to learn that that was enough because in my head, no, I want you to have like a milkshake bar. And, and of course they love milkshakes, but actually they just want a brew and a custard cream, actually. that's So... But where is that preference and what I, the best I wanted to give? And where does that become part of this cesspool of creating a youth ministry in your image? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. But, <laughs> and thank goodness, today's whole yeah. episode is going to be a confession okay. if I'm honest, because I've obviously only ever done youth ministry in a middle class so context. Tell, tell us what we'd see if we come to your, yeah, to right. I guess we'd obviously have uh, lovely artificial trees that we planted out the front and then a red carpet to the front door. Now that's a joke. It's not quite like that. <laughs> No, but I think, you know, as I said, you know, you're in a, you're in a suburban area. Um, the, the issues, domestic issues would be much more unknown and unseen. Oh, okay. And would often be about poverty of time rather than poverty of finances. So, um, you know, dad might not be around, for example, because he's always working. Mm. You know, that would be a typical kind of issue that we'd be facing. Um the young people themselves would would have some access to money and therefore resources and opportunities. They'd be able to do things like go to the football, or which costs a fortune, by the way, um, or go to the cinema, which costs a fortune, um, or you know, um, go to go to a restaurant once in a while, things like that. You know, all of these things are things that are not bad in themselves, and the young people have no idea that in participating in these things, they are exercising privilege. Mm. They have no idea, the kids in Rygate where I live, um, you know, that the fact that they would go with their friends for a Nando's, mm. you know, yes. as a group yes. is incredibly privileged. Yeah. They just don't know. Mm. Um, so the, the question, I guess, is does my ministry, does my attempt to model the difficult walk of following Jesus to young people make it clear to these young people that those are privileged activities or not does it and also does it make it impossible for a young person who doesn't have those privileges to join in yeah. and and be part of things can i just pull you up on something not pull you up that sounds like i'm being competitive yeah, yeah pull you up um so you just dropped in that in your community dads are not around because they're working stinking hard um away yeah um so you're probably similar age to many of these dads and you work stinky hard like mm, and you mm. are a director here but for these young people mm. they see you quite regularly in their life mm. at these events so mm. that's quite unusual to be a man of your age in young people's life who's not a sports coach yeah um, what have you ever sort of reflected on that? Because that in itself is not necessarily challenging the middle class thing, but it's challenging something. Yeah. It's questioning something and some idea of masculinity or manhood or work or value. Or well, something. let me give you a rogue answer to that. Okay. Which is, I, th I think that a lot of people in my community would look on me as a very unsuccessful man. Ooh. So they would look at me as, oh my gosh, like you're a you're a youth worker, like that's your. That's your job. Right. Oh my gosh, like you work with, oh, you work for a charity. Oh, that's great, wonderful. And they're just thinking, how on earth do you pay the bills? Mm. Um, I'm, I mean, I live in a very 
middle-class community. So one of the challenges of that, and people listening to this who work in middle-class communities will know this yes, very well, yes. you, you end up being the, the poorest people yes. in town, yes. you know, which is a weird feeling. Yeah, uh-huh. um, but yeah, I think, I think actually my overriding answer to your response to your question is that these, that the parents would look at me as, a, as an unsuccessful man. They're glad I'm there, but they, they wouldn't look up to me. Now, does that give you then a way to agitate and deconstruct yeah, something with young something. people's lives? Because it's almost like that's necessary, but that's hard for you to do. I mean, that's so in my community, you are successful. You're a man that doesn't, you know, you're not involved in legal activity. You're around, you've got a good job, you're a pillar of the community. Like those men who are running the recovery programs, they are the heroes in our community. That's so interesting, isn't it? How flipped that is. But that gives you a way in from a position of weakness. Is that the way into a... An entitled community as a leader of weakness, a I think perceived it is. weakness. I think it is. And, um, you know, you sometimes get yourself in real trouble because, you know, I've, I've had young people in my youth group, say, who've got amazing, amazing gifts, who whose parents are paying a fortune for them to be at private school. And I'm, I'm kind of helping them to <laughs> see that maybe they want to spend their lives in youth ministry. <laughs> And the parents are thinking, what am I wasting all this money for? Oh my goodness. You don't need a private education if you're going into youth ministry. Um, and I and I do know of some some families where that has been a massive issue because the parents cannot believe that after all that great education they've chosen. So we are talking some modeling something incredibly countercultural um, here. I mean, we are we are attempting to deconstruct one of the most complex social issues of our day. You know, I'm in a community that appears on the surface to be socially liberal but votes always votes conservative you know so there's there are complexities to this that we can't we can't fully unpack in the intro to a much better interview mm-hmm. um but uh, yeah you i think it's interesting i think being a being a youth worker in a community with lots of money like that um, does put you in an interesting position to yeah. model something countercultural and it's worth saying that because i think sometimes when we have conversations around class and around deprivation and entitlement. The danger is that we can very quickly see it through the lens of shame and think that the more worthy youth ministry has to look radically differently to what you're doing. But actually, if what you're doing, I'm, I don't know that I'm as radical in Blackburn as you are being in Rygate. On one level, I don't think anyone is looking at me and thinking my very presence, they're questioning why I've made those life choices. I, I, I'm not, I mean, they, are, they might, I hope they are, but I'm not sure. So it's interesting, isn't it, how we perceive things yeah. on the surface. What, yeah, what yeah. does it mean to be radical in this context? Um, but we are going to dig into particularly how pulling back from your specific, yes, as a trend. And if you think about, you know, the big events that people go to or the resources provided by parachurch youth organisations, the bias towards literate young people, the bias towards those that can pay to go to lots of stuff. It, it does tell a, it tells a bit of a story, doesn't it, about what youth ministry looks like in the UK and how it could look different. Well, on to today's interview. And we are um, talking to John Wheatley, who helps to lead the brilliant Frontier Youth Trust. And we're talking about these issues around class and does your youth work look a bit like you? This is a, this was an uncomfortable ride for me, just to say, um, but I think really, really important. And we talk about how we get over the barriers of proximity, how we actually begin to change the dynamics of who you're serving in your youth ministry. So it's really challenging and important stuff. Uh, this is what happened when I caught up with John Wheatley. 
Youth workers often tell us they're starved, really meaty stuff where you get to think not just about what you're going to do next week in your youth group, when you have a chance to explore the why. What are the big challenges in culture and how do we in the church respond? If we don't think about that stuff, we're in danger of just repeating the same old material, but with less impact as young people's world changes. And that's why five years ago, Youthscape teamed up with St. Melitus College to launch the Youthscape St. Melitus Annual Lecture. It's a free evening event where you'll get the deepest and latest thinking about young people and youth work. On the evening of May the 15th this year, we're holding the 2023 lecture. And guess what? You're invited to come in person to St. Melitus College in London or to listen online all for free. Chloe Combi is one of the UK's most admired broadcasters after her award-winning podcast released during lockdown, You Don't Know Me, in which she interviews young people about the issues that matter most to them. Their startlingly honest words about everything from gender to education challenged our assumptions about teenagers and what they really believe. In this year's lecture on May the 15th, Chloe will be sharing her latest findings alongside Chris Russell. We'll be exploring their implications for Christian youth ministry. It's your chance to get some really deep insights that take you beyond what game to run next week and help you to step back and see the bigger trends emerging. So there are two ways you can attend and both need you to register in advance on the Youthscape website. If you come in person to St Melitus College, you'll get a glass of wine, a goodie bag and a free download of the lecture audio and video to be able to listen again afterwards. If you can't get to London, you can listen online, but you'll also need to register in advance at youthscape.co.uk forward slash lecture. That's youthscape.co.uk forward slash lecture. Tickets are available now to take your chance to get some really meaty thinking about young people and youth work. Unless you're a vegetarian. In which case you'll get some meat-free corn thinking. Does that work? I'm not really sure. Anyway, see you guys on the 15th. So, John, thanks thanks for coming on the podcast. First of all, just tell us a bit about yourself, um, where you are in the world, and maybe also a little bit of your sort of journey in youth work. Okay, uh, thanks for having me on. I'm um, in West Supermare, which is on the south coast, uh, just near Bristol, and I'm on an estate. Um, I'm a volunteer there doing some youth work. Uh, I started out in youth work because I had a really good experience of like youth work as a young person in a church, good faithful people um, that really nurtured my faith. And so I then went off and did some stuff in outdoor education and like the climbing and the canoeing and all those things. And then quickly decided that I wanted to be in church youth work. And I went and got a job in a church. Um, it was in quite a wealthy area, which is like partly why we're talking about this today, uh, working with fairly rich young people. Uh, I trained at CYM. And when all of that came to an end, I had this opportunity to reflect about what I wanted to do. Tried to find a job in a poor area. And of course, there aren't any. Uh, there still aren't any. Um, and so we, a group of friends and I laid out, like looked for somewhere where we could do something different. And so I ended up moving to where we are now. That was like 2010. Um, and so we just rented a flat. The Church Urban Fund paid for it for like six months. And we started meeting young people in the park. We registered as a charity, started doing some fundraising. Um, and then I, I quickly realized that to make this sustainable, I needed a part-time job. And so I got a part-time job to kind of release me to do the work that I felt I wanted to do. Um, and, and that's where FYT came in, really. They were supportive to me at the beginning. And then I've been able to support other, other youth workers doing similar kind of work. 
Um, so I now live on this estate. We've bought a house. I've got a family here and we're kind of putting down roots. Um, I do a lot of face-to-face -face work, but I also do a lot of just bringing youth workers together um, to talk about the area and to have a joined up approach. That's great. So we'll, we'll get into FYT in a second, but I feel like just to paint a picture for the listener, um, when I came on the call with you, because um, we're obviously doing this over over the internet, um, I thought you were wearing a really high end pair of headphones, and I was like, "Oh, this is good," because I know he's gonna he's gonna be skewering me today for my middle class youth work life. Um, and I thought, thank goodness, he's wearing a ridiculously expensive pair of like Apple AirPod Pro Max kind of crazy headphones, but they're not, are they? No, they're my kids. They're like <laughs> blue plastic with like little stickers on that say Hannah across the top. Well, maybe that's the internet's fault or I need to get some new glasses. But they did look a bit like really expensive headphones. But no, they say Hannah on them. So yeah. unless that's like the new Siri or something. I don't oh, maybe they'll take off. Maybe that will take off. So um, for people who don't know Frontier Youth Trust, you mentioned FYT. Um, you know, what, what do FYT do? Um, you've been, been around a long time, haven't you, um, actually? Um, so what, what do FYT do and, and what's your what's your role within it? So I'm, I'm now the movement leader. Uh, we're, we're a national organisation, but quite small, um, that uh, are a movement of projects and people doing the kind of work that I'm involved in here in Western or other in other kind of marginalised groups or settings. And um, I think primarily we're a home for those people that are doing that work because it can feel quite lonely. Um, but we do some training. We gather people together for networks. Um, we advocate on this for this kind of work. Um, but yeah, it's been around a while, like 1960s, I think. It was started yeah. with a few group of people on estates that wanted to kind of do theological reflection together. And there have been some legendary people involved in FYT over the years. Um, if you know your youth work history, there's some like... There's some great names who've who've been involved. And so, you know, you've always been slightly the agitators, haven't you? Do, you? do you still play that role slightly on the fringe, agitating the mainstream? Yeah, I think we do. I think we, I mean, we deliberately set out to do it. I think, I mean, in recent years, we've tried to be more friendly because I think um, we realise that a leadership team now that um, you don't change people by telling them that they need to repent of their sins. You change people by being their friends. And so there's been a sense of that. But I think we all we will always hold a strong prophetic challenge um, because we're, we're passionate about the type of work we're doing and we want to call more people to come and do it. I remember, so uh, I don't mention this very often, but when I was at Youth Work magazine a long time ago, um, there was, uh, I remember somebody got in touch from FYT to say that they'd driven, uh, they were driving young people around in a big glass jar yeah do you, do, what what was remind me what that was about uh, that was a campaign that was about saying uh labels are for jars not for young people and it was at a time when young people were being given the asbo label and yes. like loads of negative press and so this was a kind of campaign to to push back against that i love that so that's that's just a little kind of like that for me is a little image of who you guys are um we're going to dive straight in this week to our sort of tough question for youth ministry because it's quite provocative. It's quite a provocative one. Um, and hopefully people have listened to this episode specifically because of the question. Um, and the question is, you know, 
God's heart is supposed to be for the poor, isn't it? But all the young people I know seem to be rich or, or from middle class, well-to-do areas. So as I say, we've made that quite provocative. But is that a fair question, do you think, in today's church? Well, I think it's a fair question. I mean, I, I think we should be clear that it's not actually a binary, that people are neither rich nor poor, and it's much more nuanced. And mm. every young person, like there's work to be done with every young person, and there's lots of work to be done with that, the people who have a lot. But I do think, yeah, I do think that they're God's hearts for the poor. I think you can see that through the scriptures, the Old Testament writers. You can see that in Jesus' story. He, he, I think he essentially says, if you want to spend time with me, you need to spend time with the poor. Mm. Um, and, and, go, and then like the New Testament writers talking about like what is pure worship, when well, it's looking after the widows and the orphans. So I like, yeah, I'm committed to that idea that there's a um, God's heart is with the poor. And I think, you know, you look where our youth workers are. They're in our wealthiest areas, our wealthiest churches. And I think that's challenging. But I I don't necessarily think it's because youth workers like don't believe this. I think it's the system is set up that is, you know, it's a challenging space to work in. Well, okay, so let's just talk about the system then. So why why do you think uh, why do you think we're set up so that youth ministry tends towards serving the middle classes? What is it that we do that kind of extenuates that problem? You mentioned before, for example, you know I couldn't get a job in a poor area because uh, there there weren't any, for example. So what what else, what is it that we do that that makes this problem? Well, I think there's there's the practical thing of like the availability of youth work happens with the availability of resources. So. Our big churches are in wealthy areas. That's they're the people who give money, so they grow, and then they have a need for a youth worker, and so they employ a youth worker, and it, and so there's more youth workers in rich areas. You know, the converse is true on our estate because, mm. in in a in a more secular setting, the money is is aligned by say the national lottery to go with where the areas of deprivation are. So we have a a lot of youth work here, but not much mm. church youth work, um, a, a bit, because youth work goes where the money is. But I think. I think there's a theological issue that is like underlies it, which Mm. is that we make this shift from uh, blessed are the poor to blessed are the poor in spirit. And Mm. it's a comfortable shift. Well, I think Mm. it makes us comfortable. But what it essentially does is hold on to that truth that Jesus came for everyone, that like the gospel is for everyone. And therefore we don't have to, not we don't have to, but that we easily skip over those t- that teaching about economics, um, mm. and I like I think that's that's the challenge and about raising that priority of um, sitting with the poor, not necessarily over the poor in spirit, but understanding that you know that that's what's happening in our in our churches. I think. I think that's. I, I mean, I want you to say more here. Uh, I want you to go further. I can feel Rachel as well getting very excited. Um, I went to a, a seminar, a, I won't name the, the event, but I went to a seminar at a Christian conference once. And I remember that the basically the, the it's ne- I've never forgotten it, and I was probably only about 16 at the time. But the general argument was, you know, don't feel bad about living in a middle class area because God needs, God needs people everywhere and you've got to serve where you are. And while that is true you're right it does give you a little bit of a of a get out doesn't it and and the other the other thing so i live in a you know gosh john i've always lived in middle class areas i i live in southwest london surrey uh, that's where i grew up 
I mean, it's um, where I grew up too. Like, I've come yeah, from but, that space. Yeah, I know, but I'm older than you and you've left. Um, but <laughs> the, um, the, 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 I've often heard, like in, in, in Rygate, where I live, I, I hear people say, you know, there's poverty here, but it's just not economic poverty. There's relational poverty. You know, there's, there's the fact that people are time poor and they don't spend time with their kids, for example. All of as again, all of which is true... I just wonder whether we just use this as an excuse to be able to live in a very nice area. Yeah, I like. I think that is the challenge, right? It is true, but we we don't then do the soul work to listen to that God's the, the deeper calling. I think like that um, the bit where Jesus meets the rich young ruler and he says, "What do I need to do?" and Jesus ultimately says, "Go and sell all your possessions and give them to the poor." That that line gets under my skin and like, I I find it uncomfortable and I, I like so we are living on an estate but I don't I think the challenge doesn't go away it's still uncomfortable you know the people near us are out of work at the moment that's uncomfortable mm. to live with mm. and it is more comfortable not to look at um look at this stuff closely um and I, I think, you know, part of this comes down to discipleship. It comes down to how we how we hold ourselves and how we follow. And I think there's um you know the idea of like dying to self, that actually we sometimes you have to make a there's a sacrifice in what we're doing, um or in what it means to follow Jesus. And like none of us can live up to that, but trying to hold space to I mean, just lean a little bit closer. And I, I like our journey is that we tried to like we got into this kind of cultural let's be let's be as like the people we're moving to as we can. And so we we tried quite hard to kind of reduce our incomes and we got rid of a car. And I mean, I think our lesson was that every step we took, the bigger the golf looked. Like it wasn't like it didn't feel like we were being successful. It felt like we were oh my goodness, we've tried this much and actually nothing's, nothing's happening. And I think, not nothing's happening, just like the, the gap, the gulf is cultural as well as financial. Mm, yeah. um, and and that, I think that's what makes it lonely and that's what makes it challenging. So, I mean, I, I realise it's quite hard to do anything with this. You know, it's, what we're sort of doing is making... I'm making myself feel bad. We're making lots of other people feel bad. You know, it would be good to try and turn that into something proactive, positive. You know, what are what are the things that we can start to do? What are the changes we can start to make that um, that at least make us aware or more inclusive of young people who might be right on our doorstep, who, um, you know, are coming from much more disadvantaged backgrounds. What, 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 you know, what, what's the first steps that we can take? Because we'll talk about what it looks like to move in to the neighbourhood in a minute. But, but just, you know, if you're not going to do that, what, what does it look like to have a vision that's bigger than just the middle class young people that you know and look, look like you and that you're comfortable with? Yeah, I think, well, I think the, a good place to start is doing some research. Like you can research your neighbourhood. You can look up the, the, the statistics, like on the, on the, um, the national statistics website you can look up your parish and see see what the demographic is like and you can see where in town 
there might be resources and where there are. And then you could map that against your churches and see see what's going on and what's not going on and see who's coming to your youth club. So I, I think that's a good place to start. I also think finding some friends is a good place to start. Like going to find, like if you want to work in on the estate, like I think doing that from a distance is actually, can be more damaging than good. But actually going to find someone who will be an intro- introduction, uh, who will show you around, who will maybe even join your team or we'll find you young people that are asking the same questions you're asking and will kind of fit in. I think that's like a good place to start is making it relational and realizing that you're the, you're the outsider and you're a guest in this community. Um, I think like if you're going to do this, you have to do the groundwork. Like you have to prepare your team and your church. And if you're going to invite um, a different demographic of young people into your space or the, the young person's space, you need to prepare those young people for that. And you might want to do some training around, you know, maybe some trauma-informed practice or maybe some challenging behavior. And I think that is one of those things to kind of hold is that I don't want to be saying that every young person that is disadvantaged is going to be difficult in your youth club. But at the same time, if you open your doors to those who have had a, a rougher start in life and have found it much harder, they're going to be angry. And that anger is going to come out probably in their behaviour, or possibly in their behaviour. Well, let, let, let uh, just to take that from a slightly different angle, Yeah, you know, all young people, just the way that the teenage brain is wired, they, um, they, they are emerging. And as they emerge, they push boundaries to yeah. see whether things are safe, to see, uh, to find their identity, but also to sort of push on authority and people who say they can be trusted to say to see whether they're authentic or not so you you know every young person will push a boundary a little bit and say you know can i can i trust this person can i trust this institution i'm going to push you and see how you respond when i push you that's just textbook teenage behavior so it's not it's it's not unfair to say that any young person coming into your 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 community who's from outside will push the boundaries a bit if you are coming from a, uh, a a different community where you perhaps don't necessarily have any level of trust of the institution you've walked in on, you are going to push a bit harder. Like that just makes sense that you are going to push a bit harder because you probably have a lower level of trust that these people really are who they say they are. And yes. therefore you, and I think you, you, you push a bit ready. harder to see whether they, yeah. You have to be ready for that. And no, I think, you know, there are some tips and tricks you can learn about that, but not being ready for a face off straight away. Because I think, like, I I think that's what happens. Like, young people come to a a project, they push the boundaries, and then they get banned. And so they then then go to the next project to get banned again. And it's like, it just gets worse. Like, and so they up the ante each time. Yes, but if you, but what happens, so we had a youth group, again, in a different church that I was in, but in a middle class area, where kids started coming from one of the local estates every week. They would, without fail, stuff the disabled toilet with toilet rolls and flush it and flood it. And they did it week after week after week. And we, it wasn't, I wasn't the main youth leader. The main youth leader had unbelievable patience because she could see that what was going on was they were pushing to see what it would take for them to get thrown out. And actually, over time, when they weren't thrown out, the behavior subsided because they're like, oh, oh, you actually do want us here. You do. You do. You are who you say you are. So I, I, I don't know. I, you know, I think we have to have a lot of patience, don't we? But, 
but that behaviour doesn't last forever. No, but, but and I think it's also understanding that anger is justified, that the anger that they're coming with and the mistrust they're coming with is justified. And we as youth workers need to find the space to hold that, name that and channel that. Um, and like for me, the, the dream is not like we, uh, what am I trying to say? There feels like there could be a choice between church growth or kingdom growth. And I don't, I think that's a binary, binary that doesn't really exist. But my heart is that we see the kingdom grow in these communities, in our communities. And as a result, we help young people channel their anger or like respond to the injustice and that they're able to then become the change makers in their own communities. What, what, what do you think we gain as the church when we welcome a broader demographic into our our midst i think well i mean a deep theological level i think that's where jesus is so i think when we welcome the stranger that's when we meet jesus face to face i think a practical level there's all kinds of benefits from diversity and yeah, bringing in different voices means that we can be more creative um, mm. and we can see more ideas. And I think yeah, moving into it, into areas where the church has essentially moved out, there are opportunities for mission and opportunities mm. to be to bring that transformational presence of the kingdom, um, which, I, which I think are different in middle class areas. We said we'd talk about this. And it is uncomfortable, but I, I want us to I want us to go there because you've done it. You know, there is that question of proximity, isn't there? That question of like, can you really can you really impact the lives of these community of people in these communities at scale from a distance? So you've moved in, and that's a model that lots of other people have done. How do you how do you contemplate that seriously? How do you make that more than just a an idea I don't think I could ever do. I think, but I think partly it's coming to that conclusion that I can't do this from here. That mm. realizing that actually there are there are limitations on what you can do from where you are, and that, like, I think I draw a lot on the incarnational story that Jesus came to Earth, moved into the neighborhood, as the message puts it, and that there is a model there for us to follow. Mm. that that we need to go we need to follow follow god into our communities god is in fact already in these communities and we and we find him active um and we join in i think when your when your mission model changes in that direction it becomes obvious that you have to go um that you can't just open your youth club doors and expect people to come in uh, and i mean we understand this about schools work we understand that we have to go into school to meet young people we understand we have to go to the park and i think the same is same is especially true for communities where um institutions have moved out and Mm. um life feels very unfair so i think like starting with small steps i think like even just like a night of detached work that happens on the estate rather than an open access youth club means you get to try being there and being present. Um, and then, like, in terms of moving, you don't have to go all out all at once. I mean, we rented for six months. We got a six-month flat and tried. I mean, it, it was easier 
I think, that I, I was a student. Like I was, what, 20, 21 when we moved here. I was on my own, essentially. I think if we were doing it with a family now, it'd be much, much harder. And I think, like, I think that is the truth. And mm-hmm. um, There's no point covering up. Like I was young, naive, and free, so I could come. Um, and, and but it has been transformational for me. Like my faith is stronger by leaving the church or leaving the church in its traditional sense, and that's been good for our family. But I also see the impact it makes of just being with young people and saying, "Oh, I'm not paid to be here, and I'm I'm not going home." When the shutters come down on all the shops at the end of the night, we're we're actually still here. We still experience these things and we still use the gp surgery that you know is less than perfect you know that kind of being part of it and being met at the school gate so um yeah my friend used to talk about uh, having a story rich life like wanted to have a life that's full of adventure that the, the kind of the your discipleship had to have good stories to tell and i feel like i've got good stories to tell which has been good that's great um, does that just really it's really good to talk to you about all this. Um, and I think that's some great, some great first steps throughout that conversation. Um, if people would like to connect with uh, Frontier Youth Trust, where would you like them to go? They can find us on our website, which is fyt.org.uk. Or you could just email me directly, which is john at fyt.org.uk. And uh, there's some stuff to check out. Uh, we should say, you know, we were actually going to call this podcast season The Elephants in the Room. But you guys got there first and, and, and have yeah, started to do a really... No, it's all right. You started to do a very interesting series of online... Uh, they're not online. What are they called? Webinars. Is Webinar. that right? Yeah. Which and, are just discussions and, about themes like this. Great. Well, do check those out. Uh, head to Frontier Youth Trust's website. Brilliant organisation. Thank you so much for spending the time today, John. Great. Thank you very much for having us. love that interview I am um, we've got wonderful Vicky up in Blackpool working for Frontier Youth Trust I just love I just love the voice they are to the church really agitating from the fringe I just think that's brilliant and also me and John I was born in Western Supermare so uh, me and John have that affinity it's very exciting so thank you for that Martin we are gonna we had a very long discussion at the start so it's gonna be mercifully brief <laughs> at the end um but I did just want to uh ask a favor of me personally no of the gentle listener okay. And that is, what are you doing this summer uh, from the 4th to the 8th of August? And, th- and it may be that you know I'm going to talk to you about satellites and you're thinking, I can't bring a youth group to satellites. I'm really sorry. I'm not going to ask you to bring a youth group to satellites unless you are. Um, I, we are on the hunt for an amazing team mm. of volunteers to make this event happen. Remember, we've started this thing from scratch. It's not like we've got a big like database of people who do this sort of thing. We're having to do this all from the start. And so brilliantly, the event's growing. That's really exciting. But as the event grows, we need more people every year to volunteer in a whole range of roles uh, like, you know, stewarding or um, catering or first aid, first aid, staffing kind of some of our cafes or, um, or venues um, or a whole bunch of other stuff, detached youth work, um, I, I don't know, barefoot dancer. 
I, that particularly interests me. <laughs> no, I have to say, I mean, last year that we had the most extraordinary people oh come and help out with the stewarding. So it makes good. such for youth workers who are driving on with the young people got to get the tents out to be welcomed by lovely team that just yeah. help you find. I mean, it's such a key role that really helps young people engage fully with the program. So it's so important. And if this, you this if you role. fancy sort of seeing what satellites is like mm. without bringing a youth group, you could come and yeah. do that. You could come and and. Um, uh, you know, bring a couple of people with you if you like and come and volunteer for the week. It is the most amazing opportunity to serve God and young people. Um, we feed you fantastically. It's just the most amazing catering team. It shouldn't be the first thing I mention. Oh, but it's important. It's but important. Honestly, the food is so good. Um, and um, and and we'll just have a laugh together in Chapter Malik for a week. So uh, if you're interested, you can check out www.wearesatellites.com forward slash team and you'll find all the information. Please consider coming. Bring other people from your church or your community. Um, we can't do this thing without help of people like you. So if um, if that's got you interested or excited, please check out the website. We'd love to have you on team. So that's it from us. We'll be back next week with another wonderful episode of the Youthscape podcast. An unsung hero for me was my worship leader, Alicia. Um, I think I started going to church when I was about 16 um, and sort of just dabbled here and there. And then at 18, she had just come back from having um, done her degree in America. Um, and when I met her, it was just so nice to see someone who looked like me, sounded like me, had the same sort of experiences, had just had the same sort of just just life. Um, and just sort of looking at her, feel like, oh my God, life can be good. Like, you know, everything isn't just hard. <laughs> God does make things really, really good. And just seeing how, you know, she just followed Jesus wholeheartedly, regardless of what happened, just really inspired me to say, yeah, yeah, I want to do that too. I want to be like her. I call him Wito. <laughs> Do you call him Wito? Sorry, just made John. That just made that up. Can, can you still be my friend, John? <laughs> He's my friend. <laughs> Cut. The fingers are going. The fingers are going. <laughs> are you nursing a bit of chocolate pan of chocolate croissant in your mouth still? <laughs> I can hear it. <laughs> all right. What is the word where you... Ma is it masticate? It's like Ooh, a disgusting no, word. Like it is. No, it write. is. So it's a real word for chewing. Right, have you finished? This episode's going to need quite a lot of editing. <laughs>